Happy Thanksgiving. You know, we were singing uh, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. I was thinking, thank you, Lord, that I'm among the number, that when I eat my turkey, I know who to thank, thank for it, right? That this is not just a random holiday weekend, but uh, can you imagine being thankful and you don't know who you're thankful to? Like, come on, right? What a, what a privilege it is to gather together in the name of Christ and to recognize that every good gift comes from Him. Uh, he's good to us, and we live in an amazing part of the world. So I'm, I'm thankful this time of year for eyes that can see and uh, to live where we live and see the things we see and enjoy the peace and safety and everything that's a, that's a, a blessing in our lives. Uh, I'm pinching myself that I'm back here at King's Church, I'm telling you. i uh, just loving uh, being here, and the, the, the thing on planet Earth I'm most thankful for today is sitting right down here, my wife Janet. Some of you haven't had a chance to meet Janet, but uh, stand up, just stand up so they can, they can see who's who there. Uh, God's good. And I've been, I've been uh, keeping a little list in my, my phone, you know, trying to get a chance to meet. I've, I've, I've got a lot of names in there and learning to meet a bunch of you and hoping to meet a bunch more of you. So uh, let's, uh, let's get going on uh, a topic this morning. You know, I preached the 4th of August, and I'm one of the, I'm one of the staff members here that get to come alongside Pastor Brenton and, and help with the teaching once in a while. There's a few of us doing that. The last time I preached, I was assigned the topic of circumcision. <laughs> and uh, I did my best to preach on that. Uh, got that got that done with, but I have, I've been assigned a topic today to finish out the Turn the Key series, and there's nothing, really, there's nothing that I love to think about and preach about more than this topic, and uh, so I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, you know the famous philosopher Brooke Shields? Do you know who I'm talking about? She, she is uh, credited with saying this, smoking kills, and if you're killed, you've lost a very important part of your life right? Uh, smoking is a high-risk activity. It is. Uh, skydiving is too. There's a couple of guys here that attend Kings uh, that probably have done this. Why someone would jump out of an airplane? I don't Did you see the uh, James Corden thing was lately yeah, on YouTube? Interesting that people would do that. Why would you jump out of a plane? The, the thrill, the uh, sense of overcoming, you know, maybe the sense of freedom, the bragging rights, I don't know why uh, people do it. They, they claim that in the last five years, only 200 people have been killed in a skydiving accident. So your chances of getting hurt are worse if you're in the car with your mother-in-law driving than if you're jumping out of a plane, for sure. So statistically, it's all right. Rock climbing is another pastime people do. Uh, this evades me too. I, I found one college sports department that uh, didn't provide health participants, obviously, to uh, people that stated that they participated in that sport. Here's what the, the manual said. It's possible for individuals participating in the rock climbing club to suffer common injuries, including but not limited to injury to limbs, joints, body, heat exhaustion, heat stroke, rope burns, dehydration, abrasions, tendonitis, more serious but less frequent injury, such as broken bones, concussions, heart attacks, strokes, paralysis, and death may also occur. These injuries and others may occur, may result from such incidents as, but not limited to, blows from falling objects, falls from heights, impact with the wall, impact from other climbers or the ground. It's like, okay, where do I sign up for the rock climbing club? So why would somebody do that? Well, 
there's, I guess, this sense of exhilaration and, you know, you are defying death and you, you're in your master of your own destiny and you're hanging by your own fingers. There's got to be reasons that people do that. Did you ever wonder what's on the other side of risk for you? I remember, this has been a lot of years ago now, but I remember the first time I took Janet skiing and we went up the mighty Poli Mountain and we get off the chairlift. If you've skied poly, you know there's this kind of nasty little thing coming off the chairlift. And she navigated that few feet. And then she's standing at the top of Poly Mountain crying and mad at me like, why did you bring me up? Remember that? Why did you bring me up here? But on the other side of that risk, we have enjoyed years and years in our marriage together of family ski trips and just great, great days on the mountain. There's good stuff on the other side of risk. And I want to talk to you about a high-risk activity, but before I do, I want to uh, get a little snack going here. Some good grass-fed butter. So just excuse me for a minute, and let me... Uh, get something happening here. I got a better knife than that while that butter is heating up there. Because uh, I, I think uh, as we get in, that's not a very good knife. As we get into this this morning, we are going to uh, be able to remember this truth a little better if we're smelling cooking onions. You tell me when that's uh, getting to you back there. Anybody getting a whiff yet? Speaking of high-risk activity, if you're in Alberta beef, that's high-risk activity. And I'm going to put this baby on to uh, just get going there. So we'll leave that for a minute or two. Uh, back, to, back, to high, back to high risk. Today's message is the exact opposite that you've been told all your life. It's really counter to the culture. If God's Word says if you do this, you will be blessed. You'll overcome loneliness. You'll overcome fatigue, failure, fear. The Bible positions the thing that we're thinking about this morning as probably the sole most effective antidote to loneliness, and it's called community, biblical community. Living your life in connectivity to other people in the context of the Christian faith. Our, our culture would make you think that happiness comes from being independent. You know, we want to have independence financially. We want to be independent relationally. We sure want to be independent spiritually. But happiness does not come from independence. It comes from interdependence. That's the word that the Bible says to us on this issue of community. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Let's jump into some verses here to underscore this point. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You may never have heard of that concept. The guys have some Bibles here. We're going to be jumping to several passages today, and that's the, that is the New Living, I think, which is a fantastic version. So if you haven't got one, you can grab one of those. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. I'm trying to imagine somebody that's come in here today and has never heard about or thought in terms of this issue of the body. Ooh, that's looking good. I'm going to turn that down a bit. 
Can you smell it now? All right, so, you know, the, the Bible speaks about the fact that believers all over the world constitute the body of Christ. Listen to uh, Romans 12, 4. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the other. So I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, hey, buddy, you need me. You need me. But now you've got to respond again and say, and I need you too. We need each other. We need each other. Is it high risk? Yes, it is. It goes against your natural tendency to kind of play it safe, to be a private person. It feels like an impossible challenge, really, when you think about uh, working with someone else or letting someone else into your private space, into your already packed life. It's risky, absolutely, but God's word is adamant that if you walk the Jesus walk, you're not supposed to do it alone. You're supposed to do it in context with other people. You're supposed to travel in groups. You're supposed to group up in the Christian faith. And that's why King's Church is calling you at this time of the year to consider grouping up. And grouping up has some risk to it. In fact, it's so risky that the very minute I spoke about groups, some of you have already decided, "Mm, I'm not doing that. Some of you, before you even consider entering into Christian community with other people, have already decided, I'm not up for that. It's too risky. No way. Will will I like the people? Or will they like me? Will I feel it's worth it every week to to carve this into my schedule? Will I feel trapped or obligated if I kind of get in connection with other people? Will I feel under pressure? Will I be intimidated? Will it be boring? What if they're all a bunch of freaks and I feel like I gotta, you know, I'm trapped in that situation? But here's the what if. What if Jesus is right? Come on now. What if, what if, what if loving others really is the highest calling and the only thing that matters? What if when Jesus said, every time you break bread together in my name, I'm gonna be there in the midst? What if that's true? What if when Peter said in 1 Peter 4, love each other deeply, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, and use whatever gift we have received to help others? What if in Philippians chapter 2, Paul said it this way, I don't want to burn this thing because I'm planning to have a little of that puppy. What if Paul's exhortation in Philippians 2 says this? Listen to this. He's reasoning with people. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, you don't have this on the screen. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any encouragement from that? If there's any comfort from the love of Christ, is there? If there's any fellowship with the Spirit, do you have fellowship with the Spirit? If there's, if there's any tenderness or compassion in you, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or craving deceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Now listen to this. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that of Jesus. You see, the church is not a building, is it? It's made up of a group of people. And the big word there, the O word, the nasty word, the big word is others. Each of you should look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
They, they claim that, that uh, Booth, the guy that started the Salvation Army, General Booth, was speaking at one of their big conferences one time. And the crowd, there were thousands there, and they were waiting for his word. And he gets up, and he walks across the stage, stands behind the po podium, and he says one word, others, and goes and sits down. We need each other. You need people in your life. You do. Especially in the faith arena. You need people in your life. And, and people are so lonely today. I was listening to a CBC special that said over in England, they've actually, they've actually established a minister of loneliness, that the medical community is finally teaching doctors to say, to, 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 to think about loneliness as being a contributing factor to disease, to, to be, be caring about how little or how much contact people are having with others in their life. Lee Strobel's wrote uh, about a girl by the name of Marla Paul. Listen to this quote. The loneliness saddens me, she said. How did it happen that I could be 42 years old and not have enough friends? She goes on, I think there are women out there who don't know how lonely they are. It's easy enough to fill up the day with work and family, but no, ma no matter how much I enjoy my job and love my husband and child, they are not enough. And he says that when this column appeared in the paper, that, that letters poured in from people of every description saying, you know, I feel the same way. I've had that exact same emotion. One person said this, I've often felt like I was standing outside looking through a window of a party to which I was not invited. People were relieved to know they weren't the only one. People are lonely. There's people right here in this place today that are lonely. There's people of all different ages that are at points in their life where they're realizing how lonely they are. One of my favorite authors is Gordon MacDonald. And uh, he's, he's been a very influential pastor and author. And somewhere in his late 50s, I heard him tell about the fact that he realized, you know, I'm, 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 I'm this old in my life and I don't have any close, close friends, any guys that are close friends. So he said, what am I going to do about this? He said, I decided I'm going to start dating a few guys. And so he started you know, hanging out with a few guys. He started, you know, setting up appointments to have coffee or to, to go for a run or go climb a mountain or jump out of a plane or something, you know. But he, 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 he initiated the process of recognizing how much he needed relationships. And he said that five years after coming to that point of realizing, I got to do something about this, he said, five years later, he said, I have half a dozen guys in my life who I would die for and they'd die for me. Someone wrote, we're running from work to soccer practice to piano lessons to grocery shopping and then log on at home to finish the work we didn't finish at the office. We don't know our neighbors. Our relatives live halfway across the continent. And at night, everyone retreats to their castle and pulls up the drawbridge. And I heard, Chuck, it's just about ready, I think. See that onion? I heard Chuck Swindoll talk about this. Be bad if I choked up here, wouldn't it?
said. He said, we're like porcupines on a cold night. We need to be close, but it hurts. <laughs> and when I speak to you about the importance of, of people who are in the Christian faith, in the family of God, about being in relationship, in dynamic, spiritually connected relationship to other people, some of you, perhaps the most powerful thing holding you back is, is fear of that. Because relationships involve vulnerability. We're like porcupines. It can hurt, you know. We're afraid people will expect too much or maybe we've been burned or betrayed or whatever. It's, it's understandable, but the, the, the reality is that like most of life, it's all about the tools. And God has given us some tools to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish in life. <clears throat> I've had some amazing experience of using the wrong tool. I was driving a car one night when I was a young guy, and uh, you remember, anybody here ever uh, fix the fan belt on your car with a pair of pantyhose? <laughs> Come on, nobody's done that? Yeah. Works, doesn't it? It can, it can work. Uh, we were traveling with a bunch of kids from Kingswood one night, and the, the radiator blew this leak, and we couldn't find any stuff to fix the radiator, not, none of the stop leak to pour in. So we stopped at a corner store, and we bought a whole bunch of bubble gum. We got all the kids chewing bubble gum. And when the, when the mask got real, we plugged the radiator hole with, it worked, right? It's all about the tools. It's all about the right equipment. And in the kingdom of God, we have been provided with a tool to ensure that we don't spend our life without the blessing of having other people in our, in our reality. And it's, the tool is the body of Christ. It's a spiritual family. It's what God has provided for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, the body is a unit. It is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. There is this strange mystical but beautiful reality in, in the kingdom of God that the Bible refers to as the body of Christ. And when you are born again, you become a part of that. You, you establish a brotherhood and a sisterhood with people who, who, who have only one. We have much that divides us. Let's talk politics tonight. We have much that divides us, but but we have something powerful that unites us, and that's our belief in Christ. Ephesians 4 says this, Speaking the truth in love, we in all things grow up into him who is the head. Are you catching this image? He is the head and we are the body. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. God has put people around you. You need supportive relationships in your life if you're going to make it as a follower of Jesus. Adam found out that it wasn't good to be alone. And this is true spiritually. And Swindoll's porcupine illustration, though it is true, though relationships are difficult, they're not easy, you need to move in your life from believing to belonging. You see, there are probably some of you here tonight that are very comfortable kind of being at the believing point. You can come in here and you can experience what's going on and you can think about your own relationship with Jesus and you can kind of be in walking that out and loving the opportunity to know him and, and yet you can miss the call of God to be in dynamic relationship, not just with God, but with other people. It's 
from believing to belonging. Some of you don't want to belong. Some of you just want to believe. But the, the Word of God refers to us as a family. You hear Pastor Brent use that. He's doing that on purpose. He's doing that because it's biblical. He's doing that because church is supposed to be a family. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a, a society. It's, 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 it's a family. We're all a part of it. It's not that the church is like a family. The church is a family. You have brothers and sisters in the faith that you will be experiencing eternity with. Some of your own flesh and blood that perhaps is not going to be true of. We are a family. And yet you, 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 you have this kind of conflict about it. And I have to say, I feel your pain on that. You say like, well, I, you know, I, I am into Jesus, but I, it's the church that, is, that bothers me. And I want to tell you, if you hang around the church as long as I've hung around the church, you have lots of reasons to hate this place, right? You have lots of, you have lots of stories in your, in your, in your war chest of, of times where you were disillusioned, or you might have been betrayed, or you might have been hurt, or things didn't add up, or it didn't work out the way it should be. You can point out lots of people who dropped the ball or didn't come through the way they should. You hang around the church long enough, and you're going to find those things. I feel your pain on that, but to say to Jesus, Lord, I love you, but I just don't like your body, it's like saying, you know, I like you, but I don't like your wife. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't add up. You can't stand on good biblical grounds and think I'm going to just go this relationship with Jesus thing all by myself and not in a bona fide, authentic, real way be interacting and engaging in the faith walk with other people. Say, I want to play in the NFL, but I don't want to play on a team. You know, I want to be in the army, but I don't want to be in a platoon. The case that the Bible makes is that you are in the body and Jesus is the head and we are all in this body together. Let me, let me throw four or five characteristics of this body, the body of Christ by you that the Bible speaks about. It all, first, it identifies the body of Christ as a place of peace. We're called to peace. Therefore, this is uh, Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, he's talking to the family of God, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love. It's like, put that coat on, you know, in the midst of your grievance, in the midst of your wounds, Put, put on the coat of love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, and let the, Christ, the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Not easy being in a family sometimes. There are, there are some issues that come along with being part of the family unit. But, but God calls us to peace, to preserve the unity. You, you probably can resonate with what I say when I say, sometimes I've been embarrassed by the church. Don't you love it when things like Love Week happens and you go, yeah, you know? But there's other times when you think, oh, you know, I wish it had worked out a little differently than that. Sometimes, you know, you have reason in the family to think, uh, yeah, this is my gang, this is my family, but we're called to preserve that unity. Number two, and we've been talking a lot about this this month, 
the, the body of Christ is characterized by gifts. Check out Romans 12. Just as each one of us has one body, get the logic here, with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern generously. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. It's about, it's about being gifted by Christ to serve in the body. The reason you need to be a part of the body is you've been gifted to be in the body. The body needs you. You need what other people are giving to you by way of the giftings they have. You need to be on the receiving end of that, but you also need to be on the giving end of that. It was Teresa of Avila who, who is credited as first kind of giving birth to this thought that you've already thought about when she said, this is from uh, uh, the 1500s, Christ has no body, no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks, compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the, are the feet. Yours are the eyes. You are his body. Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks with compassion on the world. Christ has no body on earth but yours. We're characterized by gift. We're also called to cooperate. And you need to cooperate with me while I get one other little nibble here. Uh, we're called to cooperate. I think this is the most beautiful part of the teaching on the body. Check out 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this part, not the stake. I mean, I love this scripture. I love this truth about the body. Now the body is not made up of one part but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact... God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And I've got to pay attention to my tongue to get that stake down. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and given greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. That is a beautiful passage of scripture. And that, that truth is so, is so powerful for us. You might feel like you are the wart on the bum of the body of Christ, you know? You might feel like, like I have nothing to offer. Like, you know, what, a, what a good have I, what, what do I bring to the table? That is so contradictory to what the Bible is trying to teach, the importance that we all play. 
And, and, and that, that scripture powerfully illustrates that. Don't miss the beauty of the fact that, that God has constructed the body of Christ to cooperate with others, just like the human body. You know, you, you, you're, you're riding your bicycle, and you, you get a speck that blows into your eye, and immediately your tear duct begins to squirt water, and you reach up with one hand, and your balance organ kicks in, and you're, you're careful with the other hand that you're steering, you know, and you, like, the, the manner in which the parts of the body serve and interact, it's, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus says about the church. And then, quickly, he says, we are committed to unity. <clears throat> this is this is beautiful in the light of all this. Uh, here's what I want you to do. This is Ephesians 4. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, he's writing from prison, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God's called you to. I don't want you sitting around. I don't want you strolling off down some path. And, and mark this, that you do it with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences you are called to travel the same road i love the way it says that and in the same direction so stay together both outwardly and inwardly you have one master one faith one baptism one god and father of all who rules all works through all and is present in all everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness that's the beauty of the body that's what happens when we come together. You need, to be, you need to be a functioning, fully vested, not only believing, but also belonging part of the body of Christ. You might think, you might never have thought of yourself as someone who contributes to disunity. But if you don't step into your place in the body, you are contributing to disunity because the body needs you. If you resist others, if you have no time or inclination to be involved with people on a spiritual plane, to interface with others in some authentic relationship with, with a brother or, or sisters in Christ, you are contributing to that disunity. I've got a lot of pastor friends that you know, need, need to be straightened up on that issue. They, they think that they shouldn't take any time to interface with people in other churches and leaders in other groups, you know. Well, they may not have time, but they're contributing to that disunity. I remember being at a pastor's convention. There were 40,000 pastors in this stadium, and we were singing. It was like when, when, when they would release us to pray, it was like a roar that filled the air, you know. It was like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I had a buddy who pastored another church, and he was in one of these churches that didn't want to fellowship with anybody else. Thought that they, they, you know, they were the only ones that had the box right. And he walked out of that event, and he said, surely, surely to goodness, I'm not the only leader in this place that's got, it's all got this all figured out. Surely these men and women are brothers and sisters in the Lord. The body is committed to unity. And lastly, we're commissioned to minister. And we've been digging into this around kings lately. This is the Ephesians 4, 11 passage. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, teaching. God has equipped the body to speak into the lives of the family, to build them up for, for service. And we gather together, we're reminded of God's greatness. We've already been reminded tonight as we've sung. And his grace, 
We come together and as we bleed on each other and as we pray for one another and share, we're reminded that God's grace is, is enough and that he's good and that he's able and that he's faithful. And, 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 and it's that gathering together with somebody that, that, that is of like precious faith, a brother or a sister, of being able to kind of figuratively lock arms with, with, with people who believe like you do and and, 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 be, and know them and be known by them and pray for them and be, be prayed for by them. It's what enables you to keep things in focus. You know, Satan, he's trying to get you out of focus all the time. You, you get out into your work and your problems and your family and, you know, you get this. It's, it's coming together with the people of the faith that brings you back into focus. And that's what being a part of the family is all about. It was Carlos Ortez, that great South American uh, evangelist. He wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, it was called. And I first heard him give the illustration of the steak. And he said, you know, when you swallow that piece of steak and it goes down into your stomach, all of a sudden it's greeted by these things. And the steak goes, well, who are you? And... And those things said, we are the gastric juices, and we've come to work on you. And the steak says, what are you going to do to me? And they say, we're going to, we're going to digest you. We're going to work you over, and we're going to make you part of Don Ingersoll. You're no longer going to be a cow, you're no longer going to be a steak, you're going to be digested into the body of Don Ingersoll. And the steak goes, but I don't want to lose my identity. I don't want to be digested into Don Ingersoll. And then the gastric juices reminds the steak what happens to things that don't want to be digested. <laughs> and it brings to mind that verse where Christ said, because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. That the duty of something that's been taken into the body is to become part of the body. To be digested and become part of Don Ingersoll's bones and sinew and muscles. That that, that stake, when it entered the body, is there for a purpose and a reason. It's to be put to work. Incidentally, I was talking to the stake recently and the stake said, you know what? It's way more fun being a part of Don Ingersoll than it is being in a food lot in Alberta in the cold, you know. He said, it isn't too bad being a part of this new thing. And some of you that are resisting fully stepping into what it means to be a part of a church family and a part of the body of Christ, some of you that are privately trying to hold on to the things in your life that you don't want others to know, or you don't want them to know your need. You don't want them to see your tears. You don't want them to know about your fears. You just kind of want to do the private thing. My prayer for you, not because it's going to do such a great thing for King's Church. My prayer for you is that you don't spend the 60 or 70 or 80 years that God may give you on this life walking the Jesus walk all by yourself, but that you find out how amazing and beautiful and glorious and powerful it is when in your time of need someone can come up to you and 
put their arm around your shoulder, someone that knows you and loves you and you know them and, and you love them and they can hold you and pray for you and help you. You were not meant to walk this faith walk as an independent, private, nobody gets into my space person. You're meant, you're meant to be digested into this amazing body Christ is the head. Carlos Ortez said, he said, I envision the body of Jesus. He said, I envision this little tiny head, Christ the head, and then the, this body of Christ that has this massive stomach full of Christians who do not want to be digested and find their real place of service and use in the body of Christ. Let's, let's never have that said of this place. If anybody ever thinks about King's Church, let's say, you know, one of the things about that place is in spite of the fact that it's a large church and all the stuff that's happening, man, those people know each other and they love each other and, and they're there for each other. Let's, let's figure out a way to flesh that out. And I, I have no quick, easy fix for you. I have no, I can't make any promises to say, that if you do this, this, and this, you'll experience that in your life. All I know is this, that Vice President Pence, if he claims to be a Christian, and he does, that even though he's the Vice President of the United States with all the stuff he's got to deal with and all that's going on, he cannot walk the faith walk all by himself. Somehow, he's got to figure out a way to interface with the body of Christ and get to know some brothers and sisters and have some people in his life. And I'm telling you, whether you're a shift worker, whether you're a single mom, whether you're a brand new Christian, whether you're 90 years old, you, you need other people in your life. And, and, and friends, that's not my problem, that's your problem. You know, you, you're the one. We, we can try, you know, we're the gastric juices around here. We're gonna work on you. We're going to try to help you get digested, get, get a part of things, but you're the one that's going to have to figure out, how can I make this happen? And group up is all about trying to serve this body in a way that, that fosters your ability to connect. And so, our Lord, I pray for these people, and I pray that whatever's happening in their life these days, that you would bless them and help them. And Lord, I know that the thing that the enemy would want the most in their life is to keep them all by themselves, to isolate them and insulate them against, against the people of God. Lord, may it not be true, and may you give them what it takes to move into dynamic relationship. Lord, some of these people on the other side of risk are the best friends they've ever had in their life. Some on the other side of risk for people in this place are godly uh, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters who can surround them and love them and be there for them. That's my prayer for every person in this place, the most lonely person, the most connected person. Lord, that's the body of Christ, and I thank you for dreaming it up. Help us to become that body. To the honor and glory of God, we pray. Amen.